Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as a part of serving our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HCS2014. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Health Connect South Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your morning yet again today. Episode four. Episode four. For Health Connect South Radio. It's already been a month. It's hard to believe that. I'm joined in studio. That voice you heard was Diana Keogh, CEO and founder of Sherwick Media Group. Good morning. And on the board, we have producer extraordinaire Krista Baruti. It's been a good start to today. It has. Traffic wasn't bad. Yeah, everything's working. Technology is going good. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a full slate today, so we'll get right down to it. Um, Today, one of the the topics of discussion is going to be uh, Alzheimer's research, uh, how we can impact this very challenging uh, disorder that affects uh, quite a few people across the country. And we've got some experts um, from a variety of different directions here who face that space, including uh, a gentleman whose loved one has has um, both been a, a patient uh, as an Alzheimer's patient and then gotten herself involved with some of uh, the trials that we're going to be talking about today. So um, I'll go around real quickly and introduce our guest, and then we'll get uh, get started. Dr. Marshall Nash, neurologist with neurostudies.net, is joining us uh, from his office today. So thanks for taking some time. Dr. Nash, I know you're very busy. Thanks for having me. Um, I've also got good morning. Uh, good, glad to have you. And I've got uh, Alex Turgeman. He's the CEO of Cognition Medical. They're a company that's uh, designing some uh, very innovative devices that are aimed at helping uh, reduce the effect and extent of stroke and uh, helping them through the acute phase of treatment. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit about what they're doing. So thanks for joining us, Alex. Good morning, CW. Thank you for having us. Yep. And we have Jim Schwabel. He's a co-founder of a company called NeuroLaunch. They're an incubator that uh, links up with emerging companies, both in device research, uh, medication, uh, the pharma side of things that are faced, uh, facing the the neurology space, helping patients do better as it relates to those types of disorders. So uh, looking forward to hearing how you do what you do there at NeuroLaunch. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, CW. Uh, Great to be here. And then last but not least, we've been joined by a gentleman we'll call him Bob today. Um, He's uh, a person whose loved one has experienced uh, Alzheimer's, and uh, he can talk about what that's like, the impact on the family, and then uh, also what their experience has been being involved in clinical trials where they believe that perhaps their situation has been improved by that involvement. So I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Dr. Nash, we'll start with you since uh, we got to get you on to your uh, to your busy day today. Um, from what I understand, as I was kind of preparing for the show, it it, uh, it came to me that you were somebody that has a personal history as it relates to uh, folks dealing with Alzheimer's dementia. Um, can you share a little bit about your background and then kind of tie that into how you got started with uh, your current work today? Sure. The what you're referring to is, is probably at age 17, I was asked to drive my grandfather to his doctor because his doctor wanted to talk to someone in the family. 
And at that point in time, no one knew or was aware that he had any memory loss. Um, when I went to see the doctor, he asked my grandfather, and this is after having full conversations about my brothers and sisters and, and how things were going within the family. I, I had no suspicion that he had any dementia, but it took him over 20 tries to remember three simple words, and he was never able to do it. Uh-huh. And um, that led to a downhill course, um, fairly classic, sounding Alzheimer's disease with dementia and nursing home placement, and eventually he he died from it. Um, what we know now is that it's it's not really clear whether the diagnosis is correct or not, and there's a lot of other diseases and, and um, possibilities that mimic and, and look like Alzheimer's dementia that we have to be very cautious about. Um, the research that we're doing is, is really heading in the direction of preventing dementia in general and Alzheimer's specifically, but but um, other diseases are emerging now right, and as, so, as just as common as Alzheimer's. Now, did that experience as a young man, did that kind of guide you in the direction of trying to break into that field of study as you went into, you know, your medical career? I think, I think it did. You don't, you don't really realize that when it's happening. So as you're going through college and medical school, it was always in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do neurology research and make an impact on these diseases. What I specifically remember was that there was nothing to do for him. There was no, you know, now, now there's a very common drug called Aricept that most people with dementia take and Alzheimer's take. And he didn't even have that available to him. I see. And what what kind of impact does a medication like that have on that patient? Does it slow the progression? Is that what it's aimed at doing or kind of reversing some of the, I know that there's a set of proteins and things like that that can kind of deposit themselves in areas of the brain that kind of cause that damage. Yeah, there's, that... There's, there's a broad category. The, the general overview of dementia is that you have degeneration of parts of the brain and it can either be vascular in the case of stroke or, or multiple infarcts causing it, or it can be generation of the nerve cells themselves, uh, which is the case with Alzheimer's disease. And what you're referring to is that um, there's a misfolded protein called amyloid in the brain of Alzheimer patients, and that forms plaques. So one of the research studies that we do has antibodies that take out the amyloid plaque. Um, there's also, and, and the more common problem is a misfolded protein inside of the nerve cells themselves, and that's called the tau protein. And so we have drugs now that can block the misfolding of the tau protein and, and take the tau protein out. But the, the tau protein is very interesting because that's actually what's causing what people used to call senile dementia. It's, it's now called PART, which is primary age-related tauopathy. And that is, that's a new categorization of all these patients that were called Alzheimer's recently but when we're doing the studies, we look for the plaques and they don't exist in, in a good number of patients. Almost half of them don't have a plaque. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be more than one approach to treating these diseases. And from what I understand, your work in, in, in regards to research isn't just aimed at developing medications, for example, that could potentially slow the pace. I mean, you're actually trying to find uh, a way, if you can, to actually reverse some of the damage that's occurred with, uh, with this process. Is, is that correct? Right. The, the drugs that are available now basically influence the chemicals that are deficient in Alzheimer's disease. So when you give them, you can, suppl- you can supplement uh, the chemical neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, but it doesn't actually affect the disease itself. So what we're doing is, is trying to use disease-modifying therapies, antibodies that bind to plaque, that bind to tangles, which are the mainstays of Alzheimer's disease, um, 
there's a lot of neurocognitive testing that's done in the office to sort out who has which disease. And the big category now, um, besides dementia, is, is pre-dementia. It's called MCI, or mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. And really what I'd like to do over the next five years or so is, is work on prevention of Alzheimer's disease, which, which can be done chemically. And we're working on that with both genetic markers and, and medications. Now, I know you have a couple of resources online uh, that are aimed at kind of sharing some information about these uh, various neurologic disorders, obviously Alzheimer's uh, being a part of that. I'm looking at the, the Star Neuroscience Foundation website. It looks like you have events and things like that that are put together for people in the community to, to try to get a little bit more information about these types of things, also learn how they might be able to participate in a given trial to determine, you know, are they suitable for, for some of the studies that you're doing. Can you talk about that type of resource? Right. Well, the, the Star Neuroscience Foundation is, is really a subset of our neurology research practice. What we're looking to do is expand. I mean, the, the, main, the main problem that most people understand is, is that it takes a long time to get these drugs to market. And so if I'm doing a study right now for an Alzheimer prevention drug, which we are, it might be five to 10 years before that study is completed and before the drug is released to the market to actually prevent Alzheimer's disease. So what we're trying to do is, is speed up research through encouraging other neurologists and other primary care sites to participate in research. And I, I, uh, It sounds very similar to the neurolaunch that you described yeah, and some yeah. of the device trials that you were talking about with your other guests. I had watched an interview that you did recently, and, and in that you talked about the fact that uh, your colleagues in the neurology space within the community are, are kind of becoming a very good a source of referral for patients to participate in your study just because they know very clearly what you're looking for and are able to identify patients that might benefit. Yes. the Well, neurology colleagues are a great source of referral for uh, patients who already have dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, we're really concentrating now on primary care and internal medicine because what we're looking for are the people that appear to be normal, you know, like I was describing with my grandfather, he appeared to be normal, but he actually had dementia. So, right. so what I'd like to do over the next several years is concentrate on studies where people are very mildly impacted and you can reverse what, or prevent a progression of their disease. And that should solve a big part of the dementia problem that the country is facing. We've been talking with Dr. Marshall Nash, a neurologist with Neurostudies.net. And one of the things, Dr. Nash, that we're trying to accomplish through the platform of Health Connect South is to kind of interface with organizations and providers such as yourself, people doing research, to try to identify things that uh, that might help them do their uh, variety of functions better or achieve their goals a little more quickly. If you, As you look at what you're doing with your work, are there resources? You talked about the fact that one of your focuses right now, for example, is trying to generate greater awareness among the primary care sets so that we can identify people earlier on in the disease state. Can you, have, as you've sat around with your, your, your colleague in the, on the team and, and done your planning and discussions, have you identified, gosh, if only we had access to this or if we had uh, such and such as uh, either logistics or whatever resource it may be that we could probably move this along more quickly. Have you come up with any of those types of things that we might be able to share with the community to maybe find that for you? Well, I think the the main thing I would like everyone in the community to understand is, is that this is for them. Um, everyone of a certain age is worried about their memory and has a relative 
who's either suffered from dementia or, or is having some kind of neurologic degenerative problem. I mean, it's part of aging in, in addition to the disease processes that we're talking about. So anything that encourages people to be screened for these trials, and again, we, we have a study called the Tomorrow Study, um, mm -hmm. which can be accessed through our website. Um, pretty much anyone that wants to participate can uh, refer in themselves, friends, family, because in this case, we're not looking for patients. We're really looking for healthy um, seniors. And how you define healthy is, is um, variable, but really we're looking for anybody who's not disabled from their memory loss um, between the ages of 65 and 83. And everyone has, uh, all the physicians have patients in that category. Um, patients that participate in these trials are allowed to continue to take any of the medications they've been prescribed by their doctors. So we're not restricting that and we're not trying to take over medical care of the patients. We're really trying to provide a service where we're monitoring people who are at risk for dementia. We check their uh, blood markers, of genetic markers for Alzheimer's disease, both mitochondrial gene markers and, and regular DNA gene markers. And we can actually um, administer drugs that have the potential to prevent and stop Alzheimer's. I see. So, so it's very exciting that way. Anyone that you're, that's in contact with your audience that wants to participate by referring patients in is, is welcome to do so. The numbers are pretty mind-boggling. We actually need to screen about 1,000 patients for the tomorrow study, which is which is a healthy, normal senior uh, screening process, to see who has the gene marker for Alzheimer's, and only about one in ten to one in fifteen have the gene marker. So a thousand patients gets a gets a hundred patients with the gene marker, and then only about fifty will actually qualify for the study. So you can see how complicated it is if you need to get a thousand patients to do a study. Yeah. And so, how are you defining older? I mean, what age are we looking for here? The, uh, Today, 65 to 83 okay. is, is, the, is the category. Um, and what they're looking for actually is, the reason they pick those ages is because they want people, Alzheimer's is a very slowly progressive disease and dementias tend to be very slowly progressive. But then when you hit a certain age, the, the progression starts to speed up. And so people sort of fall off this cliff where they have rapid progression of their dementia. And what the studies are trying to do is catch people right before that happens so they can show a difference between the, the groups that proceed to dementia and the groups that stay healthy. So we're, we're really defining it as 65 to 83 right now. Once we've found the gene actually is preventive, then we'll start testing people in much lower age categories. Which would be nice. <laughs> as it relates to those right. primary care physicians out there. In remember, this, these are, as people come into my office with, with dementia, it's usually the, their mother that has dementia and then they screen, you know, and their mother might be 75 or 80. They'll screen for one of these trials. But if they have the marker, it's, it's, a, it's a maternally inherited marker. Right. That means that everyone in their family descended from that person is going to have it. I see. So, and none of them have dementia right now. So, so the, the ability to have a preventive that actually works um, and, and the way the effect multiplies is huge. It sounds like that's a key point for the primary care physician as well when we're dealing with, say, an older uh, loved one who's bringing their older parents for, uh, for care. And we know that the, the, the parent does have some measure of dementia that we need to identify for the, for the children that 
you might want to get some screening done so that uh, you can determine where you stand. It sounds like that might be a useful thing, particularly as it relates to the studies that you're doing as well. Yeah, this is by Bowen. Right, and, on, and only about one in ten people will have will actually have purely hereditary dementia. Yeah. But there's these are these are risk factors, just like cholesterol, hypertension are risk factors. Uh, Bob had a, a question for you. The, the study that Dr. Nash is describing right now, I actually volunteered <laughs> for. And uh, and I don't know if you know this, Dr. Nish. I've been accepted into it, so we'll we'll I'll be mm-hmm. seeing you about that as well. <laughs> and do have the so, uh, so, do have the. So what is the, your what's your understanding of that particular study? Just to explain it to the people listening. Oh uh, well, it's if you're in the uh, ignorance is bliss category, then there's nothing you want to volunteer for. Um, but if you do volunteer for the study and are accepted into it. Uh, and my understanding of the screening process is that you have to have been de- determined, and Dr. Nash, you can fine-tune this uh, erratic description of mine, um, but if, you've, if you do have the Tom, Tom 40 or Tommy marker, then you're accepted into the study, and then you're screened as to whether you have the APOE3 or the APOE4. Um, and the combination of the, the, the Tommy and the APOE4 is not a good combination because I put you at extremely high risk. Uh, but the, the, the drug that's being tested uh, is a, you know, I really need your help here, Dr. Nash, so chime in, a diabetes uh, drug, uh, a low dosage uh, diabetes drug, so that uh, the benefits to someone coming in are uh, you do know whether you have the the marker or not. You your your the likelihood, the odds uh, are known to you. Uh, and if you are in the uh, drug group, not the placebo group, uh, then you stand to have the, the medical benefits as well. That that was a botched right. job, but you can. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was put, pretty put good. Together, it was pretty good. <laughs> put together pieces from there, Doctor Nash. Right, so so we if so I can translate that because I mean this this is a gentleman who has really dedicated his life to Alzheimer's research uh, through his spouse and and now through through himself and he's he's actually hosted um, functions for the foundation so he's very dedicated he understands a lot and it's still difficult to explain so this is this is the problem we have um, a lot of this information you have to listen to four or five times to to, to, un- to understand it. But what we're talking about is there's an APOE marker, which is a cholesterol, apolipoprotein. It's, it's a cholesterol marker. And if you have the subset called APOE4, it doubles or triples your risk of developing memory loss by age 70. Mm-hmm. And then the other, the other gene is called the TOMI marker, translocation of mitochondrial membrane, mitochondrial membrane. So that's T-O-M-M, and we call it TOMI for short. Right. Um, the TOMI marker is inherited through your mother, so... What happens with the study is we check for both markers. Both of them at least double your risk of developing memory loss. So the, the, the question in the study is, what happens if you have both markers? Does that, and we think that that means that you have a 90% likelihood of Alzheimer's, but it's unknown. I see. And that's, what the stud, that's the purpose of the, the gene markers in the study. Then once you qualify, there's a drug called pioglitazone, which has a brand name of Actos, which is a very commonly used diabetes medicine. And what they found was that at a very low dose, 
the actose stimulates your nerve cells to produce more mitochondria, and mitochondria are what process glucose in your brain. So there, there's something else. There's peroxisomes, which are little organelles that process fats in your brain cells also. And the, the drug, at the very low dose, stimulates those organelles to reproduce, which means that you process it, glucose and fats better. And that's actually the effect that diet and exercise has. So, so what we're mimicking is the effect of diet and exercise on someone who is diabetic, for example. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the study now. now that all that being said, it's a five-year study for people whose memory is normal. So we won't know if there's an effect um, on of the drug on preventing dementia for three or four years at least. This is whenever Dr. Nash is speaking and whenever we have him on camera, I'm so thankful that we can illustrate it. So because everything that he just described is really, um, it, it's just so well done in illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Nash, before we have to move on to other guests here, I'd love for you to basically tell the audience as well, this is not just Alzheimer's that you're working on. Go ahead and describe, you know, other patients that you're looking for for the studies that you're doing. No, it's, it's in, in general, it's anything in neurology where there's a need for better and newer treatments. That's what, that's what we're studying. So we have drugs. And most of them fall into this monoclonal antibody category. We actually have a monoclonal antibody that blocks the production of bad cholesterol. So we're looking for people with high cholesterol who've had heart attacks, strokes, or other forms of vascular disease. Um, We have a migraine study, which actually is an antibody that blocks one of the um, neurotransmitters that's released that causes migraine. So it's a migraine preventive drug. That drug is called CGRP blocker or an antagonist. And that is, that's an amazing study so far because we have people who've had headaches for 20 years who are um, getting rid of them. And this is having had all the advanced treatments in the past, they're still not able to get rid of their headaches. And and now we're getting people with one and two headaches a month from 30 headaches a month. So those are the things I think are the most exciting. The Alzheimer's prevention and the Alzheimer's studies we've we've already discussed. Um, Diabetes, diabetic neuropathy is another big category that we uh, that mm. we treat people with yeah that's a um, huge Parkin- area too parkinson's, yeah. and, parkinson's and someone well. there was one of your guests is going to talk about stroke but um we actually have um a study for people who've had a stroke to try and improve their walking after the stroke and that's something that i think we could collaborate on in the future that's great sure we'd, we'd be very interested we'll make sure that we link you up uh, yeah. uh with the introductions and contact information and people can find you again how Neurostudies.net. Just just go online, neurostudies.net, and um, you can connect with us through many different links on that site. That's right. you got a bunch of videos and uh, different uh, pieces of information that somebody could kind of get some help for their, for their folks. But I want to tell you, I know you're very busy in your practice and your work, and I want to say thank you very much for making time to join us on the show today. Obviously, uh, what you're doing can have a huge impact on a large population and uh, obviously improve quality of life for a number of people. So thanks again for uh, helping us help you. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm sure Bob will do a great job representing y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope to talk to you soon. We'll Take make care. sure we link you up with the, the other folks as part of the show. 
And uh, you know that'll bring us to uh, uh, Jim here. I want to go ahead and start with you, and, sure. and you can talk about what you're doing with Neurolaunch. And then, since uh, you're collaborating here with Alex, maybe we can kind of lead from you into Alex as to how you're collaborating and what they're doing. Sure. So um, Neurolaunch, uh, we would we describe ourselves as uh, the world's first neuroscience accelerator. And uh, for those listening who who are wondering what what is an accelerator, well. Uh, an accelerator is really a model that funds early stage startups and puts them through in a curriculum to sort of speed up their growth, uh, make the right connections uh, to sort of build their company and grow it quickly. And it's working with early stage technology. So, um, you know, by all means, it's, it's technology that usually has some sort of uh, patent protection um, with a business model idea. Um, uh, we, we work with those types of companies. We also work with companies that have revenue that already have products they're selling um, on the range of 100000 to $400,000. So a huge range of companies that we're working with. But we have a three-month program that we've put together uh, to sort of accelerate their growth. We invest in these companies. Um, we provide grants. Uh, actually, in, we, we invest from any range of $20,000 up to $100,000 in the companies. At the end of the three-month program, <clears throat> sorry, we have a investor demo day where all the teams go and pitch in front of investors to receive follow-on funding. And so uh, we're actually all the way at the end of our first batch of, of startups uh, in, this, in this curriculum that we've built. Uh, in one more week, we have our first demo day coming up on February 3rd. Uh, and... Uh, and so we're really excited. Um, and we were basically able to do this in Atlanta. And what we're doing, we believe, is significant on a national stage mm -hmm. and even an international stage because there are no other accelerators that are focused and tailored specifically to neuroscience. And that's what we are trying to do, we're trying to build a community where startups can grow uh, here in Atlanta. And we believe Atlanta is positioned really well for that with all the resources here. Um, and um, we can go into that case study a little bit later. but had some great case studies so far and we're really excited to be here so and Jim we met it was just an idea that you and Anish had <laughs> exactly and that yeah. was eight months ago uh -huh. yeah. all right so tell me a little tell the audience a little bit about where this idea even came from and the fact that you know you're dealing with mostly diseases that are really older diseases and and you and Anish are really just coming out of school so tell us the story about how this started yeah so I mean I I think it's a long story. It's convoluted. Uh, I'll shorten it a little bit um, for, for the <laughs> listeners here. Um, it, it was kind of something that's evolved over three to five years. Um, Anish and I actually started the Neuroscience Club at Georgia Tech. And one of the biggest problems we, f we found, and in, in HCS is even found in a larger level, is siloing in, in yeah. the university. Uh, and, um, and one thing we identified is there are over 60 neuroscience-related research laboratories spread across 10 different disciplines studying the brain and nervous system. And nobody knew how big the community of neuroscience was at Georgia Tech. And so it originally started on that premise, is, is there a way to connect neuroscience research laboratories on a university campus in a way that promotes collaboration um, and even inform the individuals in these different disciplines that other disciplines exist and are studying similar problems. Um, Dr. Nash was mentioning a lot of this stuff in the Alzheimer's space. Well, there would be a biologist studying the genetics of Alzheimer's, and then there would be a, uh, somebody studying it from a behavioral perspective in, in psychology. 
then there would be a biomedical engineer studying movement disorders and building devices around that. And they're all studying the same similar problem sets. And if you could somehow build a community that would sort of create that crosstalk, you might be able to have high-impact high research projects that would in turn uh, result in some form of new therapy um, or, or new, new, new treatment ultimately. And so we originally started uh, trying to connect the community. We got a $40,000 research grant uh, that was written by our advisor, Dr. Steve Potter, that Anish and I were a part of. Um, we basically tried to connect two different researchers in two different labs uh, through an undergraduate research project. Uh, and then we ended up uh, sort of being part of a larger initiative later on to create a, a new minor at Georgia Tech in neurobiology. The status of that is still ongoing. Um, and then in that whole process, we sort of saw the opportunity in Atlanta and even in a national stage of the inefficiencies of getting research, uh, research out of academia and into market. And uh, we studied the commercialization pathway. And what happens typically is somebody has a patent in, in academia um, it gets licensed into a startup, and it takes a really long time to really show that that whatever patent is out there really works in, in the clinic um, because of the funding. And so what typically happens is you get an SBIR grant or, or a Coulter grant or, or some sort of translational funding grant, and it takes a while. Um, and, and what happens is a lot of the champions of these grants and the, the, the professors who write the grants don't have the time to, to actually do a startup because they have a full-time job. Even a neurosurgeon, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of neurosurgeons who have great ideas, have great patents, but they don't have necessarily the full-time commitment to a startup they company. A clinic to run. Exactly. And so um, what we've tried to do is go right in there uh, with this Neuralaunch concept and target those researchers right when they have that, uh, that, that IP and channel that through maybe their grad students or, or postdocs or somebody who has more time, uh, fund a seed stage startup around that technology that we can invest in um, and really grow their company uh, through this curriculum we've built. And, and we think it's a disruptive model for neuroscience innovation. Um, we're taking really Silicon Valley principle concepts um, and applying them to the neuroscience space. And it's an extremely difficult space, and we understand that. But the community we're trying to build um, is not just uh, a drug or a device or pharmaceutical. Um, we really try to blend those worlds and develop uh, a community of startups in all these different areas. So like the example I said earlier in the research, say there's a um, somebody working on an Alzheimer's drug, uh, it's also somebody doing a device, maybe into the future, uh, two, three, four years, you can end up having those cross-startup collaborations that result in uh, better therapies uh, in the community we're putting together. And so um, I'm really passionate about this space myself. We've uh, talked with a lot of different people with a lot of different disorders. You know, one of my friend's grandfathers had Alzheimer's. Yeah, I was going to ask if you um, had some personal connection through your uh, experience. Well, I, I do. Um, so so my brother was diagnosed with schizophrenia about five years ago. Um, and so personally, I've seen that effect on my family. I've talked with a lot of other families as well. And I'm very personally motivated to study the genetic basis of schizophrenia and um, develop new therapies. And um, part of the efforts that we did uh, at, at at Georgia Tech resulted in a book I wrote, and it was really to unify the community and study diseases like schizophrenia in greater detail. Um, and just so much is not known about it. And um, developing new assays, like what Dr. Nash is doing for Alzheimer's, is really what's needed to develop new therapies. And, and I think that's, that's what drives me. I can't say that for the rest of my co-founders, but I do have a personal tie to it in some way.
And, and what's, um, what's the so, book that you wrote? Uh, it was called Introduction to Neurobiotechnology. Uh, it, it was a new way. It, it, it was more of like a philosophical perspective on how, how research could be conducted uh, to view, uh, view it in the scope of, like I just described, how do you view a non-siloed perspective of studying the brain and nerf, nervous system, not just getting locked into a, a perspective of chemistry or, or physics or, or biomedical engineering, but really blending those, those different si or disciplines into one to study it from a more complete and sort of broad perspective so that you could see new avenues to innovate. Uh, and I think that, that, that concept of, of going um, from a, a specific field into a broader field in neuroscience is evolving and a lot of institutions around the world are starting to develop interdisciplinary neuroscience programs to capture that. Um, and so that book was really to sort of standardize that. How, how can you standardize the study of it in that, from that perspective? And uh, I've coined the term neurobiotechnology because I think in order to really see it from the perspective that I was trying to observe it from, a new word was, was necessary. And um, But, you know, it was just definitions laid out. And it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, but I love to write, so that's one of my passions is the side. And never sleep, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, so your showcase is coming up. So describe a little bit about kind of how this came about and who's going to be showcasing. Sure. So uh, so the the... Investor Demo Day, as we're calling it, is happening on February 3rd in Atlanta Tech Village. Uh, David Cummings of Atlanta Tech Village was kind to, to sponsor us and donate space for us to host it there. And for the listeners who aren't familiar with Atlanta Tech Village, it's, it's basically a building of startups. Um, and the event that we are hosting is uh, to bring together all our portfolio companies. And we have six companies in our portfolio to present on stage in front of investors to receive follow-on funding to continue developing their startups. And in addition to the six companies that we will have there from our portfolio, we are also inviting 20 startups from around the world to present posters in a poster showcase. So um, to my knowledge, uh, I've never seen anywhere in the world 26 neuroscience startups in one location uh, with the, as many investors we're having in the room. We'll have about 40 to 50 investors in the room. Uh, right now, we have 150 people registered for the event, um, and uh, it's mostly tailored to to startups and investors. Um, and the reason why we, we went to have the poster showcase was a lot of investors from other cities like Seattle or California or Boston, where all the capital is, uh, seemed to say, why, why fly down to Atlanta for six startups? You know, they, 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 it was a trip. And so we did a half-day conference. We thought having those 20 startups here from out of we are we are actually lucky to have more than half from out of out of state, and even people are flying from Croatia to present posters. Wow. Um, so we we are attracting some great talent here for this event, um, and uh, we invite any any listener who who's interested to to contact us if if you're interested in our event or engaging with that event in any way. Um, and how do they find you? So our website uh, is www.neurolaunch.com. And, um, and you can contact us using the contact us tab, or you can email me directly at jim, J-I-M dot Schwebel, my last name, S-C-H-W-O-E-B-E-L at neurolaunch.com. And um, I'd be happy to talk with anyone on the show um, about what we're doing and, and to, uh, to engage with us in any way. Um, we're really excited to be here. 
I, uh, Anish and I actually were involved in HCS early on mm-hmm. to help Russ out, and, and we really support what you are doing. It's kind of a fortuitous happening that yeah. this came along at the same time you're doing what you're doing. It really is a, is a exactly. nice fit. Exactly. Well, you, you brought uh, somebody that's kind of in the benefiting side of things as it relates to collaborating with. Yeah. Do you want to introduce us to uh, Alex and what they're doing? Sure. I'll, I, actually, I, I want to say a short example of what Alex is doing and how it fits into our accelerator. So um, I, I'd love to use Alex's company um, as, a, as a great case study for what we are doing and, and how our, our curriculum can really benefit startups, not only from Atlanta, for, but from out of, out of Atlanta. They're actually from Boston. Um, we actually connected with Alex through uh, one of our co-founders, Jordan Amadio, and uh, Jordan Amadio is a neurosurgery resident at Emory University. He went to Harvard for his MBA and MD, and uh, connected with uh, Cognition Medical uh, and Alex through uh, some connections he had up at Harvard, and, and it was really just like a side conversation. He's like, <laughs> we're doing NeuroLaunch, we have this great idea, it's the accelerator, do you know anyone in Boston? And they just sort of randomly connected. And, and so um, uh, the reason why we really like what Alex is doing with his stroke company is uh, Atlanta is really primed for that. Uh, Marcus Stroke Center sees probably uh, the most number of patients in the southeast for c- cerebrovascular stroke uh, uh, strokes, really, and especially the ones that they're working with were large blood vessel occlusion strokes. And so early on in our accelerator, I, I just chime in really fast. Um, they actually got a tour of Marcus Stroke Center through through our accelerator because Jordan's affiliated with Emory Neurosurgery, and they were able to go there, talk with some of the leading neuro- neurosurgeons in the world that are in cerebrovascular stroke space, understand what clinical studies are going on, how many patients they see, how they're recruiting those patients, uh, what device, how they'd have to modify their device for adoption, um, just really useful statistics and growth and even... Uh, it seems like the it got some introductions possibly to other cities through that. And so with that, I'll, I'll pass it over to Alex to intro himself. But I, I really like to to say Alex is a great example of how other people, other startups uh, from out of town can interface with Atlanta if we look look strategically about how Atlanta is structured, what resources we have here, and really what our specializations are. So. That's awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Turgeman. I'm the CEO of uh, Cognition Medical. We're making a device uh, for stroke. And um, I have to say we've been extremely satisfied by moving south. And I'm not just saying because we, we didn't meet Juno uh, this week in the, in the Northeast, but um, Neuralaunch has been uh, phenomenal at uh, helping us grow our, our startup and our venture. And it's been a transformative experience going uh, down south in the stroke belt. And I, I think it's important to, to mention it that um, – the Southeast is a place where there's an enormous caseload of stroke. People are dying uh, by the thousands um, in, in the Southeast. And so um, Jim mentioned um, the Marcus Stroke Center. I think this is also one of the reasons why we decided to go south. Um, this is probably one of the top three centers in the United States for, for stroke. We've been uh, uh, very fortunate to be connected by, by Neuralaunch uh, with Dr. Noguera, who's uh, their top doctor there for interventional uh, neuroradiology. He oversees the Stroke Center. And um, we've been extraordinarily been helped by, by Neuralaunch in, a, in an extreme fashion. I have to say that they have uh, a plethora of, um, of top advisors and so it's been truly a, a pleasure. But let me give you a little bit more uh, of my background. I, I came from France. 
Um, I, my dad heads a, a, a large, um, one of the largest stroke center in, uh, in Europe. I was originally uh, um, into, interested in, in engineering, so I decided to uh, um, do devices. I was really bred into the, the medical devices. Um, went to Paris Institute of Technology and uh, started my PhD, PhD in 2008 at MIT, where I studied um, heart diseases with uh, Dr. Um, Edelman and Garcia Cardenia at, uh, at Harvard Medical School. And um, I met there, I, I met Jonah uh, Bernstein, my co-founder, who was doing his uh, MBA at Harvard Business School. And we thought we should do something. We, we've bo we we're both passionate about, about stroke. And uh, with Jonah's permission, I, I'm going to share a story uh, about Jonah's grandfather, um, Jonah's grandfather was really a truly exceptional man, and not only a brilliant academic, but also he was a he was a war hero. So, Jonah, uh, Doctor uh, Siaman Gordon was uh, um, spoke forty languages, four zero. So it, it's quite impressive. He was uh, one of uh, the, the top linguists of of his time. Um, taught in many institutions, including uh, Princeton and also in uh, in Boston. Uh, but also he was a, a war hero, as I said. Um, he was in the team that decoded uh, the Japanese code during World War II. Unfortunately, uh, and very sadly, um, in years 2000, I think it was 2003, 2004, um, Jonah's grandfather had a, a massive stroke, and he was brought to Mass General Hospital in Boston. And nothing was really... Um, could be done for him, and it was devastating for for his family to sit there. I can imagine and 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 see uh, their grandfather just lose uh, his ability to to think. And so I think we both came from the same place where we just really wanted to have an impact on on the lives of of people who have a stroke. And so um, we came across a, a, a technology that can decrease brain damage after that somebody has a stroke. So in a nutshell, um, when you have a stroke, you have a little piece of blood clot that is lodged into uh, an artery of the brain. And so this prevents the oxygen from going to the brain and thus starts the cells start to suffer and then, and then die. Um, now, recently, and, and you might have seen this, um, there was a, a, an exceptional a clinical trial called Mr. Clean, uh, featured in, uh, published in, in New England Journal of Medicine, featured in major news outlet, not to cite any competitors or partner, uh, uh, New York Times and, and et cetera, um, showing that the old fashion of treating stroke, which was with um, a drug called like TPA, TPA yeah. exactly, um, was outdated. And really, the novel way to treat the stroke is to use a device. A device that goes from um, the femoral artery, the arteries close to, to the, that goes through the leg um, in the groin area, and then uh, push this uh, device all the way through the aorta of a patient up to the carotid and uh, to the brain to unsheath a little basket that is gonna grab a clot, the clot and bring back the clot. So this has this was just a, a revolution for the, the, the field of uh, uh, interventional neuroradiology and, and stroke treatment. Now the, the problem with uh, this technology is that um, 
in one third of the cases, that works beautifully and people can recover. Uh, the sad part is that in two thirds of the cases, opening uh, the artery suddenly brings back a ton of oxygen to the brain and creates what is called reperfusion injury. So mm -hmm. over oxygenation of the brain. And so we have a technology that can instead bring back uh, oxygenated blood to the brain slowly and thus decrease uh, brain damage. So is the device kind of interfacing with the clot extraction? Is that the piece where it's not just taking the plug out and all of a sudden we've got flow, but it's doing it a little bit more gradually. Correct. It's exactly right. It's uh, a combination of, of removing the blood clot, yeah. but also slowing down and, and intermittently reopening the artery so that the brain can breathe slowly. We don't. We want a, um, a control dam rather than a, a flash flood, if you, if, you, if you will. Yeah. So as it relates to the kind of the historical way we've been doing it with TPA, which is a medication that actually dissolves the clot and makes it uh, go away through, uh, you know, dissolving it act physically is the I would assume the challenge with that is just the risks that come for bleeding from other areas that it obviously is a very high risk medication to be administering you can you can start bleeding in areas where you didn't realize that there was maybe a uh, process in, in place that was keeping you from bleeding so the risk was great is that is that really where the big motivation was to find a different way? Absolutely. Um, not only this, um, so the, the risk, the hemorrhagic risk that you're mentioning is is, is absolutely true. And, and this is something that um, devices have been tried, trying to overcome. But even in a, in, in a larger um, measure, devices uh, are able to grab bigger clots. Um, I like to, to, to make the parallel with, with uh, uh, plumbery. And so if you have a clog in, in the tubes, uh, in the pipes, um, then if the, the, the clog is small enough, then, then you can put Drano to um, dissolve the, the, the clog. Um, but if the clog is really too big, then you have to use something like a snake right. to, to get it. And, and this is really the right image. Um, when clots, massive stroke are, are, are happening, you have a big clot and you need a snake to remove the, the, the obstruction. With these intravascular procedures that they're able to do now to, to retrieve a clot, are they able to go fairly deeply into the brain? I, I mean, I, I assume they, they probably can, given the fact that uh, going the other direction to save limbs, they're able to get deeply into the feet now with, with endovascular procedures. So they're able to go pretty deeply into the brain's vascularity and, and uh, retrieve clots if it's fairly deep into the brain tissue. Absolutely. Um, they, they're able, the, the devices are really small. These are devices wow. that are made of a, a special alloy called nitinol. It's a, a shape memory alloy. It can collapse very easily into a very small tube. So um, they're able to make it as small as um, less than a, an eighth of, a, of an inch, uh, just to give you uh, uh, an idea. And this can go really high up into the brain and, and really grab those clots that are damaging We've been talking with Alex Turgeman of uh, Cognition Medical, and as we've been discussing, they've got some technology they're developing that will kind of advance the way we treat stroke, uh, kind of piggybacking onto some new technologies where uh, physicians are able to avoid some high-risk medications that we've used historically and now go in kind of like we do through, you know, to fix the uh, uh, blockage in the heart. We're able to do the same in the brain. Uh, and this technology that Alex is describing is able to help prevent the extension of the stroke that can occur once we open that uh, that uh, blocked uh, artery up. 
as it relates to getting it to the market, getting it out there to um, where it's available to physicians to use this, I mean, how do we stand and what can be done to help you along that line to make this move along better for you so we can get it out there and actually in the hands of doctors and patients? Sure. So um, first, I, I think we, we have uh, the best ally on our side. Neuralange has been just a, a phenomenal partner. Um, and I, I really want to acknowledge the, the work of uh, uh, the founders, Jim, who's here, but also uh, Anish Joseph and uh, Dr. Jordan Maggio and, and Chris Klaus. Um, All together, they've brought an energy and uh, an expertise that is nowhere uh, close to what I've seen um, specifically in the in the segment of, of neuroscience. And uh, I, I think that the reason why we came down, Boston is, is considered uh, a major hub for, for neuroscience and uh, for biotechnology. But I think that um, the reason why we came south is that they had, they, there was a, a specific um, expertise and, and joint forces that would help us uh, develop this venture. Um, in terms of advancing this device to the to the market. Um, we're right now in the uh, fundraising, the, the seed uh, money, and um, I'm extremely pleased to say that uh, we've raised uh, 300000 out of uh, $500,000 uh, necessary to uh, initiate operations. And so um, I've frankly been very impressed by the quality and uh, of, of investors and, and, and advisors here in Atlanta. And so interfacing with a resource like Neuralaunch, as you've talked about, has obviously been able to kind of put you together with some of those uh, finance uh, providers that, that your company is needing. Other, any other resources that would be beneficial to you? Obviously, funding is a, is a vital part of what, you're, what you need to do to move things forward. But any other resources that, uh, that from the community's perspective, if we could find it, might help you? Sure. Um, I, I think that... Um, um, really interfacing with major stroke centers such as the, the, the Marcus Stroke Center. Um, we've been in, in contact uh, um, with Dr. Noguera. Um, we're bound to, to, to meet uh, um, Dr. Frankel, who heads the, the Marcus Stroke Center. These are exceptional people that uh, uh, can help us because they can give a perspective on um, the device, its use and uh, really help us develop this. But on the other side, uh, I'd like to also uh, say that um, Georgia Tech is a is a fantastic um, um, asset in Atlanta, and and we had the the pleasure to uh, talk to several professors and and students here. I myself, uh, I did my my uh, my undergrad in, uh, in in Paris Institute of Technology, and we have a privileged. Uh, connection with uh, with Georgia Tech. Uh, I like to say that I'm a cousin of of, of Georgia Tech. I came in 2007 <laughs> to do a an, an internship here, and I, I keep great memory. But um, really, the the ecosystem, and as uh, as Jim said, he mentioned uh, David Cummings from from ATV. I think that uh, the Greater Atlanta community uh, has created uh, a privileged ecosystem for entre entrepreneurship. Tell folks, uh, if they're listening, uh, how they can get in, in touch with you to interface with you through you know, uh, whatever means they need to, to do so, whether it's to provide maybe some additional funding or learn more about that or, or just to interface, as you were talking about, from, from some of the clinical groups in the area. There's really two good ways uh, to contact us. We have a website, uh, www.cognitionmedical.com, so cognition as in thinking. 
but also I would encourage uh, the, the, the listeners to come to, to Demo Day on uh, February 3rd. There'll be a, a big showcase, um, as, as Jim said, um, six portfolio companies, but also more than 20 posters. And I think it's going to be extremely exciting for the whole community. Are you going to be one of the presenters that day? Yes, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, I want to say thank you to you as well. I know everybody that comes to uh, share information with us uh, has a great many things on their plate, so taking time to uh, share about what you're doing is much appreciated. And, and clearly, based on the numbers, over almost 800,000 strokes a year, it's there's a need to do what you all are doing. So uh, thanks for taking the time to make thank some. Thank you, CW. Uh, thank you, Diana. Make time for us. And, and last but not least, before I run out of time, I want to be able to introduce the community to someone on the on the on the bleeding edge, if you will, the the the, the folks that are actually dealing with these uh, issues that we've been talking about from the uh, individual perspective, uh, we have Bob, uh, who is uh, a person that uh, is a caregiver of a of a patient who's uh, been dealing with Alzheimer's. So, wanted to be able to share with the community uh, the impact that some of these things, the research studies that they were able to participate in, information they were able to gain. So, thanks for taking some time, Bob. And if you would, uh, you know, share a little bit about your story and what what brought you to where we are today? Certainly. Uh, my mother uh, in 2007 did die from Alzheimer's, so I was not unacquainted with it at all. And my dad had died at age 52 from uh, ALS. Um, so I was sort of on the alert for cues. And, and so when my wife began to show um, a little bit of confusion and when you're married for a very long time, you you just become <laughs> absolutely tuned in to the biorhythms and the sense, and you, you know when something's just a little off-center right? Um, and a little heightened emotionality and a little confusion and just a little of this and a little of that. And so since her sister had MS, we I convinced her to go to my neurologist, uh, and then he diagnosed the uh, MCI early in 2007, which was the year that, that uh, my mother died. But um, so we, of course, were uh, taken aback by that, um, but also wanted to do everything possible to go at this aggressively right? and not just uh, passively sit and, and watch the clock. Uh, so our neurologist referred us to Dr. Nash, who then... Uh, got my wife into a drug trial study uh, for bapanuzumab, uh, which was, uh, there was a lot of hope about that then. And I would think that uh, hope is a key word for, so when people go into these trials as participants, um, hope is a very great thing. And that's right. the, the greatest non-medical benefit uh, to those who, who go in it. Um, also, the feeling uh, that they're not being helpless, they're not just sitting there waiting, but they're being proactive, which is a word that I dislike, because it's a cliche, but um, uh, the feeling of being enabled and that uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm going to... Right. Fight, fight I feel like you're do doing something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's a huge benefit, and also the uh, the people who are in the, uh, the the trial do become both formally and just through conversational uh, exchanges 
become much more aware, much more informed, uh, much better educated about uh, what is going on, and and uh, and so that is very uh, enabling uh, as well. And I guess uh, a last benefit of those who are in the trial is that uh, that there's this, and it's not intentional, I'm sure. But with the people who are in the trials and with the, the staff of Dr. Nash, there develops this uh, collegiality. Right. Basically. I'm sure it's rewarding to feel like um, hopefully it'll help us. Yes. But surely with our, our contribution here and the knowledge that's being gained that uh, eventually, for sure, we'll, we'll make some progress that is going to help people. And, and you're obviously gaining benefit, if nothing else, emotionally along the way. Well, the, the the sense of I'm not in this alone, right. and the and in the trial there is a sense of community that develops, whether intentional or not, and then uh, all, all the people who are in it uh, do ha- have a sense of reward that they're making a contribution, they're they're furthering the advance of of insight and information, and uh, that gives a uh, a very great feeling of, of reward. Something that you said earlier as you were describing your story and kind of how, how you ended up getting here, you, you'd seen some changes along the way. And I think that one thing that I, I believe I would probably be guilty of if I weren't, you know, becoming a little bit more aware of the whole Alzheimer's and dementia and the, the progression of those diseases is that I, I would imagine that there's a large number of people that along the way as somebody's getting a little bit older, oh, I'm just getting older. That's why I'm forgetting where I put my keys or little things like that that you that are really fairly easy to write off. But if you mm-hmm. back up and actually kind of look at the picture, it's actually worth talking to your doctor about just to see because it sounds like some of the things that they can do to determine are you at risk for an Alzheimer's are relatively straightforward, not necessarily greatly involved that you might be able to evaluate. Is this something I need to be concerned about? Uh, that is most beneficial. And uh, that reminds me that since my wife and I are both 75, and uh, many of our friends are in the over 65 to 75, uh, then when she has shared with our, our friends about she does have mild Alzheimer's and so forth, uh, the way that that's received varies greatly. In many cases, denial yes. pops up immediately. Oh, right. well, I'm sure it's not, because people are really talking about themselves <laughs> yes, and not so much the, uh, the situation. So that, that's certainly a dynamic. And it sounds like as you're as a caregiver, one of the things that you're finding is that it's kind of affecting how you try to kind of position the day and in, in the way you're approaching your your significant other or your loved one, um, helping them you know have some measure of hope and, and experience joy and, and happiness throughout the course of their day. And you know that's kind of a place that you try to put some focus. It it greatly improves one's productivity because you uh, you uh, you learn multitasking like you've never mastered it before uh the the demands if you will on needing to be here needing to keep an eye on that needing to circle back around and you know are 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 constant so it certainly uh, improves your organizational uh skills but it more than anything uh it, it certainly refocuses your your perspective on life and what is uh the important thing and to let go of the of the nits and the 
stresses of the things that really don't matter all that much. Right. Well, and one of the things that I interviewed um, Mr. Bowen, and uh, one of the things he said that really touched me is that you know he he wants to make every day remaining for his wife happy and pleasant. Mm if she only has so much time left. It's and a it gift really to be able to get me. that perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that can apply to everybody, not just uh, when we're dealing with a, a disease like this that's progressive, and I'm sure that's a challenge for all of us. Uh, but but certainly great words of wisdom and perspective. Before we run out of time, Bob, do you have some advice for the person that's out there listening? It sounds like, you know, if you're having an issue or your loved one is having some issues with memory, obviously talk to your doctor about it and get evaluated. Yes. Um, anything else as it relates to your advice and, and experience for the studies that you've been part of? Do not just sit in denial. Uh, face it, uh, activism, look into it, uh, and then every everything becomes much better. Well, I, I know it's got to be somewhat challenging to, to come on and talk about your story. It's poignant and compelling. Um, but I think that it certainly drives home the importance and the value of what uh, the folks that uh, from the development side of these types of devices that affect this kind of group or, or the studies like Dr. Nash is putting together and uh, working on um, clearly having an impact on a large number of people. So I want to say thanks to you personally for taking time to join us here on the show today. Any final thoughts for you, Diana? No, I just... I. I love when shows come together, mm. and this has been really, and, you know, again, as we wrap, I hope someday that the devices that you're working on and the, the neural launch incubator accelerator that you're working on someday, we don't even have to have this conversation. Right. Exactly. Wouldn't that be great exactly. in the future? Yeah, that's right. Well, to all of our guests, Dr. Nash, obviously, um, joining us at The Jump, Alex, Jim and Bob, uh, obviously to uh, you, Diana, from Sherwood Media, and uh, to Christopher, Christopher Rudy, our executive producer. Thanks, thanks so much for, for letting me push your buttons. For being here today, and uh, thanks you out there for for all of you making us a part of your day today. Make sure to uh, make an appointment to see us same time, same place. We'll see you next week. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sherwick.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.